Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Kimberly Majeski. How are you? I'm well, Jim. How are you? I am well. I've just spent uh, a week with one of my grandsons, actually two of them. Mm-hmm. The younger one is just 10 months old, so I was spending time with him, but he's not talking to me. Right. <laughs> but his brother, he's not giving you much. his brother is three and a half and talks a mile a minute. Yeah. And with my grandsons, but especially the older one, his name is Ezra, we watched them for a week while their parents were on a trip abroad. He wanted to watch a movie, Wreck-It Ralph or Ralph the Wrecker or something. <laughs> Over and over, I saw it a thousand times. Okay, I'm overstating. I literally saw it 12 times mm-hmm. in five days. Mm-hmm. And it just struck me how compelling those animated films are. It was really creatively done, I have to say. Right. Thank I, God, right? I was entertained. <laughs> uh, but you've got a little boy at home. And uh, name another movie that he likes to watch. He likes to watch The Incredibles. The Incredibles. Those are animated characters, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And what are they, like superheroes? Isn't that the well, deal? It's like a mom and dad who are our superheroes. And so he keeps wondering where our powers are. <laughs> <laughs> Why are my parents like that? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> but the superheroes do good. They mm-hmm. intervene in the course of events and help people get, That's right. get ahead. And, right, they and fight def- off the bad guys. Fight, and, and, and there's something in every person, in the childlike nature of all of us, but even in the adult nature of all of us, that wants the good to prevail. And, That's right. and, and we're drawn to those narratives. But it's all fiction. It's a Disney animated film. Mm-hmm. All right. But in real life... Kimberly, I think there are some Incredibles, and I think history demonstrates that. Yes, for sure. And we're in a series here on Viewpoint where we're talking about the first centuries of the Christian era, and those early church people, honestly, they were Incredibles because they took their world and turned it upside down. They mm-hmm. completely reformed the whole strata of life in a way that by all human measure, that's just nuts. It could not happen, but actually it did happen. There are different theories about why it happened, and we're exploring some of those. Some people would say just God caused it to happen. Others would say, no, it was just a political outcome because of events of the time. But some legitimate historians would say, no, no, there are some other things that we need to consider about how those people were incredibles. We're going to talk about it today, not just because it's interesting, but because it actually speaks to our day and time, too. I know you're familiar with an historian who teaches at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Kimberly. I am. His name is Bart Ehrmans. Mm-hmm. And he has edited or authored 30 books, many uh, New York Times bestsellers. He's been mm-hmm. very prolific and influential. This is a guy who labels himself as an agnostic atheist. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting <laughs> pairing of words, but he's, I think, asserting that he doesn't believe in God, but he's still open to figuring out how things work. Right. And that's the agnostic part. Mm -hmm. But Atheist says there's really not an overriding uh, heavenly hand in the course of events. Mm -hmm. But he's an historian, and he's greatly respected because he objectively takes history, analyzes it, synthesizes it, and produces content and outcomes that can help us understand what has been, but also informs us about what might be. He's written a book just published in the last year. It's called The Triumph of Christianity, How a Forbidden Religion Swept the World. It's a fascinating study. And he concludes that there are five things that the early church people displayed, that they embraced and acted out, that made the outcome inevitable, that Christianity would rise to the top and the old world that had been in place for not just centuries, millennia, a Mm -hmm. way of thinking about 
the world and about deities and so on. All of that would be upended because these people who were not people of means or necessarily no. well-educated, they certainly didn't have levers of power because these people had certain characteristics right. that changed the world. They were Incredibles. Mm. Now, you use Ermans in some of your teaching. You teach at university, mm-hmm. both undergrad and graduate school. I do. And you've used him because you think he is credible. I do. I, I enjoy his work. I think he is able to kind of come at the text in a new way because he's not reading for devotion and he he doesn't have a bias of, you know, wanting to believe these things as true. He simply says, look at the facts. Here's what was happening. And in history, and in this context of history, the development of Christianity in the ancient world, he has concluded that it was very powerful because of certain characteristics. That's right. And we've talked about them already in in part. We've talked about how he contends, and I would concur, that the exclusivity of Jesus, the claim of Jesus as the one way to God, was very compelling in a world of polytheism, where people had many gods from which to choose. They could hold several in their hands at once. And, you know, our modern world is a lot like that, where we have many things. We, We have people who might choose to think Jesus is God, but they also don't adhere to his teachings in their personal life and conduct. And that's a way of kind of plurality, isn't it? I I say this on Monday or Sunday, but I do this on Wednesday or Mm -hmm. Thursday. And in the early church, there was this clarion call that people have to make a choice. And because they made that choice for Jesus, it informed all of their lives, which led them, as we were talking last week, about how they then talked to their neighbors about what they believed right. about Jesus. And that was so compelling. Again, it wasn't necessarily a big strategy. It wasn't a plan or program. There were not a billboard campaign. It was just, we believe this Jesus guy has changed us. And they couldn't help share it with people around them. And their testimony was credible because right. the way they, they lived, lived, they had integrity. Mm-hmm. You were you were reading from ancient docs from right. Pliny the Younger, a mm-hmm. Roman governor, mm-hmm. one of our earliest documents of the age who was astonished by the way that they were living. It was so anti-Roman that uh, he didn't know what to do with them. Um, But they were seen as a threat to the Roman state because they were calling forth all of these numbers of people, and they weren't sure what to do with them. And they did not observe the established norms, worshiping the emperor and the other gods and going through the rituals and so on. But he observed, and this was so striking about his letter, as someone who's hostile to the Christians, Uh his description of them is so noble. Mm -hmm. They they get together, they sing songs to Christ as God. That's the first thing observed. And they Mm -hmm. do it in the early morning. Mm -hmm. And that they make oaths with each other. They, They promise each other that they're going to live uprightly, ethically. They will not lie. They will not commit adultery. They won't withhold things. And (laughs) And this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. But it was so countercultural. But Mm -hmm. that integrity of life gave their witness power and agency. But today, a third thing that Ehrman suggests, he said one reason that Christianity overtook the empire was because of the supernatural beliefs of the people. Now remember, this is an author who himself is not accrediting supernatural power to anything. He's He doesn't believe that that actually exists, but he believes they believed it, and they believed right. it so deeply that it became an irresistible draw. We know that you might have a question or a comment you'd like to share as you're listening to our program today, and we want you to know that we're always glad to hear from you. You can call us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, toll-free. This is the number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 
888-888-8439. We'll always be by the phone with a live voice, never an answering machine. We'll be so glad to hear from you. Please keep in touch. Kimberly, as we're thinking about these early Christians, how they turned the world upside down, they were incredible in the way they did. And one of the reasons, according to Bart Ehrman, an historian who's just released a book about this subject, he said that they turned the world upside down because they believed in the supernatural. They believed in miracles. They lived in the constant sense that God knew who they were, was personally interested in them, and could intervene in the course of events in this world in a way that made their life better. And that this was both something comforting to them, gave them hope about their own journey, but also was authenticating that what they believed about Jesus was true. And they just believed it and lived it, expected it, and shared it. That's right. We see in the Gospels that the miracles of Jesus really give validity to his story. And then in the early church, the stories about those miracles, or people who had been recipients of those miracles, then continue to lift the next generation of believers. And what he's authenticating is the power of their belief in those things. That's right. The historian who wrote the book is not himself a believer. He's, he doesn't believe that there are supernatural events, but he believes that those early Christians believed it. Right. And they believed it so deeply that it was magnetic. Hmm. Let me share a passage out of Acts chapter 8. This describes the New Testament church life in the first century. It's describing a season of great persecution, which was true for Christians through many of those early years. And this is Acts chapter 8. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They were scattered because they were being chased out of town. But wherever they landed, they would talk about Jesus. Philip, for instance, went to the city of Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. Again, this constant sharing, just mm-hmm. that even though th- there were threats out there for so speaking, they just could not keep it to themselves. Then the scripture tells us crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So here we have. Luke, the historian in the Acts of the Apostles, describing just events. That's how it's presented to us. This is a history of things that took place. And as we look back from the extra-biblical history, from those sources that are not in the Bible itself, we have this affirmed. The early church was a community of miracles. Mm -hmm. That's what they believed. That's what they professed. That's what they said they experienced. Some would say, I was not myself the recipient of the miracle, or I was not even present when it occurred, but I knew someone who had a miracle. And that transmission of the narrative, of the testimony, became something that the Roman gods and the established order, they just couldn't compete with it because there was no parallel universe. That's right. We have to remember that the first hearers, Jesus' first community, the people who are first touched by Jesus are the people who clamor to him are the poor, the people without power. These people don't have any sorts of, in the first century at all, medical treatments or doctors. You know, those are these are like witch doctors and potions. This is what they go to for their treatments or to be well. And those are really accessed by people with means. If you're a person who is in poverty, which, you know, 90 to 92 percent of the population was at that time, didn't know when they were going to eat the next time, then you're completely dependent on some sort of miracle to happen. 
and to change your life. And so these people were seeing that with Jesus, and then they're sharing this message. They suddenly have access to the miraculous that they couldn't afford in the Roman pantheon. Because in the Roman age, people of means and wealth could go to a pagan temple. Right. I don't use pagan as a pejorative here, but I mean, it was the custom to worship idols that were in temples, and there was ritual practice. Absolutely. And the, pre- the premise was, if I make the right sacrifice, if I right. go through the ritual appropriately and, and pay my dues, mm-hmm. this God may respond with favor. Mm-hmm. It was not predictable, but the hope was that God will intervene in my life supernaturally. The more you pay. But but if you don't have money, that's <laughs> right. not accessible to you. No. And here was a message for everybody. It mm-hmm. tore across all classes. You could be rich or poor. You could be male or female. You that's could be right. a child who was not highly valued that's in right. Roman culture. Or an aged person who was put out to pasture. It Slave didn't matter. Or free, right. The testimony was God loves everyone. He is mm-hmm. not a respecter of persons, as the old mm-hmm. phrase. He doesn't favor one over right. the other. You're all made in his image. He loves each one of you. And this Jesus guy is God in human form, and he gave his own life. He laid himself down so that we could access these miracles. He's living still. He came back from the dead. There's a miracle. And right. now he's still working miracles among us. That message yes. was just like, wow. You can imagine. I can reach for that. But now that brings me to today. Yeah. Because I live in a world where the question still is posed. Well, where are those miracles today? Was that just a, if you believed in that stuff, is that just because it was a season or does it mm-hmm. still happen today? And the truth is, it's a hard question to answer. But I'm here to say, I believe miracles still exist. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's different is people in the developed world have taken so much control over their lives that there's a a more narrow bandwidth for the miraculous to be observed. Because in an age where you could not control the temperature in your home, (laughs) or you couldn't protect yourself against some wild storm or whatever, we have so much more capacity to do that today. You're more dependent on a miracle. And I've seen this traveling the world. When I go to the undeveloped world that is not so materially advanced as where I live in the United States, the miraculous seems to be more obvious, mm-hmm. and people are more open to it because their world is much more finite, and they're right. not able to control their environments. But I think there's also another thing in that miracles often are at the front lines of the mm-hmm. gospel's advance. So they authenticate the message of Jesus. Right. That's how they worked in the gospels, for sure. That's right. Jesus did things, and they were merciful things, mm-hmm. but they also had a larger purpose, which was to say, you know, listen to what Jesus says, because look at what he does. That's right. And that carried on after Jesus ascended to the Father. Mm-hmm. I still think that's true today, again, when I travel abroad to places where the name of Jesus has never been heard before, yeah. not once. It's very common to see miraculous phenomena. And I've seen that mm. with someone with leprosy or I maybe know. a blind cause to see the New Testament stuff. It's there when it's on the front line and people have never heard of Jesus and, and there's this kind of authentication. Hey, listen up, this guy, this Jesus has power. I often share stories that you've shared from being abroad because, you know, this is a question my students will raise many times is, you know, why don't we still see miracles today? Why don't things like this still happen? Why aren't the dead raised? Why don't people, are they not healed in the same way? And exactly as you've answered here, you know, we live in a a place removed. I remind my students that if you're studying in university, you're a part of the wealthiest 8% of the world's population. And so that reliance upon God's intervention is a little bit different for us. And we still live, though, in the most advanced societies materially, 
in the need of a miracle from time to time because we all know there are medical challenges. There are still acts of nature that can take our breath away. For sure. I think all of us have been in moments where we thought, if there is a God, I need you right now, mm-hmm. even if you were not a believer. Mm-hmm. Even Ermans, the author of this book, prompting our dialogue today, I'm sure he's had moments where he just thought, well, maybe if there was a God, I could ask you to intervene. Oh, yeah. And I'm here to say that God still does intervene, even that context. But we have to trust God to intervene for his larger purposes for the good. He loves us, he cares for us, and he knows what our trajectory must be. Mm. And I know that he still does intervene miraculously, even though he doesn't every time I hope he will. Sometimes it's postponed, delayed, maybe it'll be detoured. But in the end, when I look back over life, I realize even the times I wanted miracles and didn't think I got one, things turned out in the way that Mm. was good and life-giving. But I have been a witness to miracles, and I have to share uh, a story of of astonishing miracle where I was traveling to India. Now, India is economically moving up the ladder, you might say, but still has desperate poverty. And uh, I was invited to speak. There was a vast crowd, five or 6,000 people. At the end of it, I had been talking about Jesus, and there was a couple that came forward to talk to me. There were long lines of people that came because people were crying out for a miracle. I wasn't really even preaching about miracles. I was preaching about Jesus. Mm. And they were so desperate, they wanted to know more about him because every other avenue they pursued had not given them remedy. And so people were lining up so I could pray with them in Jesus' name. Well, this at the end of the line one day, there was this couple, and they had a little girl, and I'd say she was about 10 years old. She looked very distressed physically. They were very sober. I didn't speak their language. I had to have an interpreter. But as it was explained to me, the little girl had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. They had taken her to Calcutta, which was a, a medical center. They had sacrificed everything they had to get her to a hospital. They'd done some scans. She had a tumor. Hmm. The docs say, there's nothing we can do. I mean, really, it's yeah. too advanced. And it was obvious that the diagnosis was correct in the sense that she was compromised. Mm. And they are saying, you're talking about this Jesus guy. <laughs> we don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. Can you pray for our daughter? And I'm thinking, because my faith is wobbly then, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, man, is this going to work? I don't want to destroy the name of Jesus because I'm going to lead yeah. them to believe that something's going to happen that won't. I mean, I think many people who are put in that position, as I was at the minute, struggle with that. Yeah. But there was a thread of faith in me mm-hmm. that said, what, what's to lose right. in an hour of desperation? Right, right, right. What else? Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm telling them, don't go to a doctor. They've already done it all. Mm-hmm. Now what? God does not do miracles to rescue us from things we can do for ourselves. Yeah. But when your back is against a wall and you've done everything you know what to do, knock on the door of heaven. Mm. So I did. And honestly, Kimberly, I was praying, and I just felt like I was overcome by the Holy Spirit. And I started praying not just that she would be healed, but that she'd be healed within 30 days. It just it came in my head. Where did yeah, that come from? Yeah. But I came out of my mouth, and when I said it, I thought, oh, no, what have I done? But I kept praying that way. Lord, I just pray that your hand will be on her and that she will be healed in 30 days. May she and her family know that this is your intervention, and may her healing be a witness to others mm-hmm. that Jesus is Lord. That was it. Well, they got up, they were kneeling before me, and my hand was on the daughter's head, and we prayed. They're weeping, I'm tearing up. They leave, I'm gonna get on a plane the next day and never see them again. Yeah. I got on the plane and I was haunted a little bit by it. Her name was Don Lee, I remember that. So anyway, about five, 10 years went by, and I was back in India. I travel there often, and I went back to India, and I was in the same region of India, but not in the same place, 
Similar setup, big meetings, thousands of people, another five or 6,000 every day in a crowd, as mm-hmm. far as the eye could see, yeah. spread out in a field. I'm speaking about Jesus. People come up at the end to pray. And at the very end of the line, there's a woman, a young woman, a beautiful, stunningly beautiful young woman uh, with an, an aged woman, I'd say, who came up to me. And uh, I, I looked at the translator because English is not yeah. prominent in this part of the world where I was of India. India's English speaking in some places, but not out here where I was. I looked at my translator, but before he could speak, the young woman spoke to me directly in flawless English. And she said, you probably don't remember me, but 10 years ago, you prayed with my parents and I had a brain tumor and my jaw just dropped open. I said, yes. She says, well, I am that girl. And I want you to know that we prayed and in a couple of weeks, I just, I knew I was healed. And so they went back to the hospital and they said, there is no tumor. There's no evidence there ever was a tumor, anything. My father has died. This is my mother. And I just was looking at her. She goes, and you know, I learned English because you prayed in English. I thought that that worked pretty well. Oh (laughs) my goodness. I'm just saying, that's not about me and it's not about English. That's about Jesus. Yeah. What the story is, I'll never forget. She said, and she said, could, could I be your Facebook friend? I said, yes. <laughs> and every now and then she'll send me a message still. Aww. This is a story now that's developed over the last 15 years. Right. But she still occasionally messages me. And, and, and what she does is she says, I pray the Lord's blessing on you as you did for me. Oh. I'm here to tell you. Miracle. Miracles still happen. <laughs> yeah. And they happen with Jesus. Yes. Where are you in life right now? Maybe you need a miracle. I can't promise you one, but I can promise you that Jesus will hear your heart cry. And I promise you that Jesus can get on the case. And even if the miracle you hope for is not delivered in the way you want, though it could be, he can come alongside and help you navigate whatever it is the mountain you must climb. But I promise you, we live in an age of a personal God of miracles in the 21st century like the first. How do you get there? Pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you are still in the miracle business and that you know each of us by name and that you are willing to come alongside and breathe life into us abundantly, not just for this world, but the world to come. And in this world, Lord, we are often in places where we don't know how to climb out. We're, we're not sure what to do because in our desperation, all the, all the remedies that we can access are gone. And sometimes we just need a miracle. Lord, I know that you're not here just to dish out prizes but that you love us. And so we surrender our lives into Jesus' arms. We admit, Lord, that we're inadequate and that we are flawed and that we have often not been the right people that you create us to be, but today we confess our sin. We lay our lives before you and ask, intervene in our lives and empower us and heal us and cause us to be everything that you made us to be. May your intervention in our lives Be the stuff of blessing to others, too, as they see, watch, and hear. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so, what to do next? Call us up. Tell us your story. Let us pray with you or hear your comment, your question, your critique. We're all in. That number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're by the phone. We want to hear from you. But Kimberly, if someone didn't want to call, they felt more comfortable just going online. Where can they find us? Yeah, we love to hear from our listeners online at cbhviewpoint.org. You can send us a message there and we'll respond. Absolutely. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's right. We're the people with hope. Mm -hmm. cbhviewpoint.org. Or at last, just write me a letter. 
Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. That address again, Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use the post, please, let us hear from you this week. And be encouraged. God knows you by name. I promise you he does. And he's ready and willing to come alongside. Thank you, Kimberly, for being with us alongside Thanks today. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Always glad to see you. And we're so glad that you tuned in, too. We hope you'll be with us again next week as we continue our exploration of how was it that those first century Christians became Incredibles? And could we be incredible, too? Yes. Until next week, then, stay tuned. Godspeed. Godspeed.